So we're back for another episode of Find Your Film. This time it's our director's spotlight. It is Eric Holmes's turn this time. Eric Holmes can always be counted at very interesting choices. All due respect to me and Bruce Perky. This week, Eric Holmes, he's naming himself Avataric. And yes, very good. Very good, Eric Holmes. And Bruce Perky is called Perkron99. That is a reference we're going to be talking about very, very soon to fans or enthusiasts, passionate folks, artists of Ralph Bakshi's work. They're going to really know that reference as well. And I am Street Fight Srizavasti because... A, I've never been in a street fight. B, I've been raised, I've been a suburban boy for all my close to 50 years. And C, we're going to be talking about street fight, which maybe I should just call it street fight very, very soon. I don't know, guys. I don't know who's what we're going to call it. Anyways, our choice this week for our episode, Eric Holmes, why did you choose your director, name your director, and why was he your choice for this episode? Well, I went with uh, Ralph Bakshi. It, he just, uh, he's a really uh, interesting animator and very interesting in, uh, I would say, experimental storyteller uh, because a lot of uh, Ralph Bakshi movies, even as uh, air quote, uh, pop, uh, not popular, but uh, accessible movies, air quote, um, it, they definitely bring you into a world and they kind of mix your mind up a little bit. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I usually feel pretty high when I'm watching a Ralph Bakshi movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he just seemed like something worth talking about. It seemed like someone worth talking about. Now, was this, did you choose this because you wanted to learn more about Bakshi or were you just biasedly a fan for years on end, you know, with Fritz the Cat or maybe heavy traffic and, you know, all that a, stuff? A little bit of both. Actually, it was kind of, it was kind of up in there between him and Don Bluth. And Ralph Bakshi seemed a little, I love Don Bluth. I love his movies, but with Ralph Bakshi, his movies seemed a little more challenging. So I figured that uh, it would lend towards some more interesting discussion. Challenging. Very good word, Eric Holmes. Bruce Perky, Perkron 99. Do you consider Ralph Bakshi's work challenging? And is that maybe why this was such a good choice for this episode? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think that he's proven to be that, you know, historically and just talking about, you know, the way he attacks his stuff is definitely challenging. I, I, I say to me, I think he's, if you were to pick Don Bluth, he's a little more mainstream, I think. Whereas I think Bakshi kind of represents that same kind of path that you get with someone like John Waters, where they both start in this very subversive underground realm and kind of peek up into acceptable uh, mainstream, but they always are a little bit weird. And then they get back down into their element. They like, they never can fully break out because they're just too weird and too, uh, too iconoclastic, I guess, you know? So yeah, he's, he's definitely going to be difficult. We're having an interesting time talking about him. Well, interesting time, Bruce, you're, you've, you've always had a really interesting taste for all of your life. Was Bakshi someone you grew up with when cool world came out or maybe, what is it? Was uh, Fire and Ice and Fritz the Cat? Maybe when you were a teenager, was he a part of who, who you were digesting as a youth, or maybe not? I remember. Well, I never had seen Wizards, but I remember seeing Wizards as one of those movies that would show up on midnight movie um, uh, ads all the time. So you know, you'd have the ads, especially late seventies, early eighties. There'd be midnight movies that would show, and it would be like "Song Remains the Same," or there'd be "Dawn of the Dead" would be a big one, which I actually saw as a midnight, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. I would see it pop up there sometimes, or Fritz the Cat too. But the ones I saw, I remember my family actually took me to see Lord of the Rings. We saw that in the theater. I had seen Fritz the Cat in college, and Cool World's been up you know, around and about all over the place. And I think I might've seen one other one. I can't remember, but those three for sure I had seen before. I remember when I was Eric Holmes, when I was 12 or 13, I saw the poster for Fire and Ice and that popped in my brain, my adolescent brain. I was thinking, and I was thinking, wow, is this Conan the Barbarian or something? I could not connect the artist Franzetta with I had no idea who Bakshi was. All I knew is there were these scantily clad people with really cool muscles that I would never have. But as 12 or 13, it really leaves an imprint. So actually it's, and I remember Cool World. I was actually, even back then I was doing interviews. So I had a working knowledge who Bakshi was, 
but not until you chose Ralph Bakshi for this episode did I finally, after all these years, decide to start watching some of his work. So it's very interesting. Now, Eric Holmes, what are your picks for this episode and why did you choose these two? Because it's really hard to encapsulate Bakshi as an artist. It would take hours upon hours. Why did you choose these two films to spotlight? I picked the uh, Coonskin and Wizards, and I think they represent two different two different kind of filmmaking styles or storytell or uh, stories that he's interested in. You got the Coonskin, which is the um, kind of street level everyday people getting into shit, and then you have the Wizards, which is more the fantasy element that he's also interested in. Obviously, with the Apparently, he was a big fan of Lord of the Rings and just J.R.R. Tolkien in general. And it's just uh, kind of uh, two sides of the same coin. And then, of course, uh, I think Bruce saw it, but I also watched The Last Days of Coney Island, which is uh, short of like a 20 minute short of his. That one leans more towards the the coonskin side of things. And yeah, I guess we'll start with uh, coonskin, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, well, before we start with Coonskin, I was actually on the on my walk this morning. I was cramming for this episode, and I listened to an interview that Bakshi had for with one. I forgot what's the name of the podcast, and I'll leave it in our in our notes. It was a very interesting interview with Bakshi and Bruce. I think you actually checked out a documentary as well on Bakshi. Maybe you'll recommend that during the episode as well. But he was talking about how during his time he used to work at this animation company or department called Terry. Tunes and they Terry were tunes, yeah, yeah, Terry tunes and they were animators who, because my my knowledge of animation is probably below zero, negative five hundred. But he was, I learned a, l- a little bit about Terry tunes just from this podcast, and he said he was saying that he his goal working in Terry tunes, they were not considered the grade A Disney animators. They were sort of sort of elderly right uh, elderly artists who were either maybe they're very talented but they're they weren't considered the cream of the crop as far as disney the commercialized version and i think that's going to be a running theme uh, regarding Bakshi's work that he even though he like you said bruce he dipped into the commercial field a couple of times he always had this maverick spirit about him and a singular spirit but he said what was interesting from his time in terry tunes he was talking about how while a lot of the animators he really looked up to them like normal people, whenever they would break for lunch, they would break for lunch. Whenever they would go home, that was their that was their main job. They loved their job. They would be paid a certain wage, come in in the morning, do their artwork, break for lunch, do some more drawings, go home to their loved ones. And what he said, which was very interesting, is while everyone was out to lunch, he would stay, I guess, in the office and pilfer some of the trash that the artist would throw, throw in their waste basket and bring them home just to see and figure out why these respective artists threw this, threw their work out. And maybe he could learn either from their mistakes or maybe learn a little bit about their styles. So I thought that was very interesting. And he was mentioning, and I think that really shows how much, even while everyone is taking a break from their respective day, which is understandable, Ralph Bakshi is like you guys were saying last days of Coney Island as of five years ago, he's still working. He's not a guy who sort of rests on his laurels. So he's not going to do the safe, safe thing. He's not going to break for lunch. Like every, like maybe I would, I, I'd break for two lunches. I don't know about you guys. I wouldn't be in a trash. Uh, and even when he was a kid, when he had no money, he said he grew up poor and he said he would love to get real sick because not just because his mom would take care of him, but this would give him the license for, for his mother to buy him comic books. When he had no money, a dime to his name to buy comic books, he would rummage through the trash in his Brooklyn neighborhood, hoping against hope to find any kind of comic book in the trash. That's how much Ralph Bakshi is passionate about art. So that's amazing. But And he's also passionate about telling interesting and controversial stories. Eric Holmes, that first controversial story is a 1974 film, Coonskin, which he also wrote, stars Barry White and Scatman Crothers. One, Philip Michael Thomas from Miami Vice. He's he's here as Philip Thomas. Eric Holmes, why don't you tell us about a little bit about Coonskin, what it's about, and your overall just was this your first time watching it? If not, what 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 yeah. is your overall thoughts on the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh so it starts off it, it does the regular backsheet thing where it's 
part animated, part live action. Let's see if I get this story right. So you got uh, uh, Barry White, and it picks up the uh, picks up the uh, preacher, right? And they go to they're driving towards a prison where there are two people are escaping from prison. They're going to pick them up, right? And while they're picking them up, the one guy's talk. The older guy's talking. Uh, the older guy, I believe, is that Scatman Crothers. Scatman Crothers from The Shining. Scatman Crothers does the singing at the beginning of the yeah. op- the opening credits. Probably one of the more memorable opening credits I've ever seen. Really we will cool. not be reading the lyrics to that song. <laughs> no, we won't. Uh, but uh, so they're going. Uh, so they're going to pick them. Uh, pick them up. But while they're doing that, the uh, two guys, the older guy. And it is telling a story to the younger guy of, uh, oh, I had friends like that. And then it's all animated flashback. Well, sort of animated, half animated. They do the backgrounds of uh, live action. It's it, right. De- definitely a neat style. And then the the rest of the story is kind of, uh, kind of like a Goodfellas, pretty much. It's just bad people making bad choices and uh, bad things happen to them and I mean that it's it basically animated Goodfellas, or uh, probably even better would be. Uh, oh, no, I can't even think of the movie. The the, the older one, Mean Streets. Older, say, yeah, yeah, Mean animated Street, yeah. Mean Streets. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of metaphor in it. You got the uh, Miss America uh, popping in through there, and I'm pretty sure she's not a real character. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean I don't think her character would be an actual person within that world. I think she's more trying to represent something or maybe a little bit of both. Uh, there's the uh, part where uh, <laughs> Scatman Crothers character animated is singing to her about how he's not going to fall for her stuff. And you ain't got nothing on me. What you got on me? And she just says, help rape. And then the, uh, yeah, <laughs> It, it, it's got a it's got a bunch of stuff like that. It's got a bunch of really interesting characters. The uh, uh, televangelist, the naked guy, the uh, mob boss at the end. Once they kind of you know, yeah, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, there's a there's a motley crew. The whole movie's a whole motley crew. It's set mainly as as Eric was saying. It's a it's a flashback <laughs> set in Harlem, and it's a fable. Oh, I don't know if they call it. It's a tale of three friends who go into Harlem and they, through their actions, they, they try to take over the, I guess in, in an, an unwitting sense, they, they end up kind of trying to go up against the criminal underworld in Harlem. And they're not heroes, they're criminals themselves. They're, they're, they're uh, evildoers themselves. So it's actually told in flashback via the Scatman Crothers character as he's relaying this flashback to his fellow inmate played by Philip Michael Thomas. So that is the main construct of the film. If I think if most people do not go into this movie with any level of context, they'll and they'll say they're gonna say to themselves, well, this is this movie is directed by a white filmmaker, especially in today's climate. It's directed by a white filmmaker from grew up in Brooklyn, and they're throwing the N-word left and right. And there's a there's a lot of a lot of people could label this movie as very two-dimensional racist and insulting and everything like that. But Bruce Perky, here's the thing. You need a little bit of context to really appreciate what Coonskin is going after, right? Yes, you do. I mean, it, it was still controversial even in his day for those things as well. So um, you can, you can be on either side of this, I think. Um, And I would say going into this, people have to be really aware that in general, his work, especially this kind of work is, uh, as opposed to what Anderson Cowan usually says, he'll say it goes down smooth. This does not go down smooth, <laughs> you know? So you got to go in knowing you're in for something kind of rough. And I guess I'll talk about the context a little bit, but I also think of the context historically. I think of this, the early seventies, everything is getting deconstructed. You know, you've got Peckinpah destroying the Western and just changing the whole mythos of the Western along with Sergio Leone to some degree, right? And then you've got things like Blazing Saddles, you know, coming out, just going crazy. And it was, it was, I think it was interesting that Richard Pryor, they said Richard Pryor loved this movie. And I could totally see that too, because this movie is doing the same sort of things those movies were doing, but doing it with several genres. I mean, one of it is directly attacking the, you know, covert racism of Disney and this kind of Disney view of the world, uh, as well as just attacking 
like every stereotype known to man. I mean, you can go down the list on this movie, right? I mean, other than just all the black stereotypes, which are can be pretty rough in this movie, very rough. Uh, you know, you've got Italian Americans, you've got, you know, you know, sexual mores, you've got all kinds of stuff going on here. Um, I'm going to look on Amazon right now to see if Song of the South is something that we can link to right now as a Blu-ray. Yeah, Yeah. because Song of the South is what they're directly basing this on because you've got to understand, literally look up the characters in Song of the South and look up Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, and Br'er Fox. And that's exactly what these characters are a takeoff on. And even to the character design, you can see they're very stylized character designs of those. And in fact, I had sent you guys a picture and I'm old enough to remember going to Disneyland. You guys might be too, especially Greg might be because he lives in that area. You used to have a lot of, um, you know, the Song of the South and Country Bear, Jamboree or whatever that was, characters. And those characters were walking around Disneyland. I don't think they are anymore, but they were. Uh, To the point that basically the... um, uh, the character played by uh, Scatman Crothers is essentially Uncle Remus, you know, telling all these stories. Uh, and you've got basically, you know, Rabbit, and this is Br'er Rabbit, to the point that they even have, towards the end, a direct parody of the Tar Baby sequence. Once again, it's a harsh <laughs> term to turn around, but right. that's, that's the scene that's in a Disney movie. Disney doesn't like to remember that movie exists, but it exists. So um, that is a huge context for this movie. And if you have the little bit out under your belt, this whole story is more subversive and a little more pointed than just straight up racial stereotypes. So I think that will help people have, a, I guess, an, a foot in the door. So written again, written and directed by Rob Bakshi. I ultimately, I, I think with context, I ended up really enjoying Coonskin. It is a tough watch because if you don't have that context, but if you really understand where he's coming from, what I mean, this is a gutsy film, number one. Okay. And, and also just on a kitsch factor, just seeing Barry White act in the movie for a little bit. It was fun. Just having Barry White like this for the first opening <laughs> minutes before he starts driving the car with Eric Holmes was talking about the preacher. I believe the preacher's played by Charles Cordon, but all that kind of stuff. That's really fun before we get into the animation stuff. Now, Eric Holmes, you are are probably out of us three. You know a lot about art and creating your own artwork. Ralph Bakshi, in many interviews, he was talking about how the idea of being an artist, what he loves is he's not a lot of artists get hung up over, not like I know what I'm talking about, but crafting the perfect line in a drawing or in a sketch. And, and he was basically, I'm paraphrasing, while they're trying to craft that line or create the perfect picture, he's out there all about creating movement and feeling as opposed to a perfected work of art. And he said, that's the reason why I've been able to get a lot of my work out there. Is that one of the reasons why maybe works like Coonskin and upcoming Wizards and pretty much all of Bakshi's work really appeal to you regarding his aesthetic as far as that? It doesn't have to be perfect. Let's just keep it keep it going, keep it moving with the art. Yeah, he, he seemed to be uh, more of a, a journeyman, I guess. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, yeah, he's he's more interested in getting it done and and uh, like behind the scenes, get it done, get it done quickly. And does it look perfect? Doesn't matter. Does it tell the story? That's all that matters. He's definitely not a perfectionist, but I think that kind of that kind of works for his style because his style is very dirty and very uh, you know you see seams all over it. But it's weird because like there's seams everywhere, so it almost becomes seamless in itself mm-hmm. because it, it's kind of uh, I don't know. It, it just it just it brings you in that world, and yeah. it kind of it kind of makes you feel almost as dirty and seedy as the characters within it. Um, well, it's not about aesthetic beauty or perfection. I mean, that's kind of the point of the movie, yeah. the stories too, right? To me, it's like that. It's like that New York of Mean Streets or Taxi Driver in cartoon form. It's it like I said, it's like John Waters. John Waters is dirty, low rent. He doesn't care because he's out there to to hit you with his ideas and his shock and all that stuff. And I think Bakshi is doing exactly the same thing, but just in a form that's so connected to kid stuff and you know beauty that in a way it makes it almost more subversive because when you see it in that cartoon form, it it really kind of messes with your head a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I think like with uh. Well, I mentioned uh, Mean Streets and Goodfellas earlier. Like, imagine that's in a Disney style animation. 
all of a sudden that's a completely different movie. Like you're looking at that movie, like you watch Goodfellas and it's like, aha, this is funny. These characters are fun, but yeah, you put it in a uh, Disney characters and where they all look like song of the South. And all of a sudden now your brain goes to a completely different spot when you're, when you're watching nearly the exact same story. And a little bit of factoids regarding Coonskin. Again, about this podcast I was listening to today, Bakshi was saying one of the inspirations behind Coonskin was his friendship with, I believe the, with a black animator, and I, I, I haven't looked up. I, I'm trying to remember the name. I believe that animator his name is Charles Allen. He was telling how Allen's advice about just going your own way as an as an artist and animator, and just going and 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 having fun and fulfilling your own vision. His he was inspiring him to do that, and Bakshi actually made Coonskin just as an inspiration to a lot of the animators who came before him. So what's really cool is even though we see Bakshi now, he's I think. 80 plus and he's this grand pun intended wizard of animation the one of the reasons for for his success was he always credited a lot of the people who came before him including the black animator aforementioned charles charles allen so i'm probably getting the name wrong I'm, I, I believe i remember that name so that is coonskin you know it's a solid recommendation for me as long as you in my opinion as long as you have some good context of what this film is about Eric Bruce, what do you think? Would you give this a solid recommendation as well for Coonskin? That, for uh, for film enthusiasts and film historians, absolutely, because there's you know there, there's a you know Ralph Bakshi kind of took what was known about animation and kind of turned it on its head, and and not so much with the uh, not so much with the way he does animation, like not on a technical level, but just on a you can you can do this, and then you know, but. Uh, as for the you know regular movie watcher, probably not. I think a lot of people, especially like like Bruce said when it came out, it was offensive when it came out, and it's uh, to a lot of people it'll probably still be offensive today for people that don't quite understand what it is he's getting at. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> definitely yeah. recommend if you're a film if you're a film enthusiast. Definitely not recommend if you are not a film enthusiast. <laughs> Yes. You can also, by the way, instead of calling it Coonskin, you can call it, it's been also called Street Fight. So if you want to call mm-hmm. the Bakshi film Street Fight, you can also call it Street Fight as well. Bruce, you echo Eric's sentiments regarding regarding Yes, it's, it's not for everybody. It's definitely for people who are interested in his, you know, historically like adventurous and groundbreaking filmmaking, any kind of filmmaking that's really trying to, to push the boundaries and attack some really hard issues or do things that are different. Definitely, if you're kind of able to go into those places and not easily be offended. I think it's also really interesting for people who are interested in just what, how to judge art. So this is what I was thinking about when I was watching this movie. It's really interesting because we talked about, you know, can you represent things that are not in your personal experience or how, what is your, uh, what are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do? And a perfect example would be like, you know, groups from, you know, we're uh, up against this, you know, core, I think it was a core that um, uh, Al Sharpton's group was you know, actively protesting this movie, but then other people in the, were praising it for its daringness. So it's really interesting in that aspect too, just to see what art can do, especially very daring and groundbreaking art, whether you like it or not, it's, it's, um, it's very interesting to explore, I think. So, and I, I like the one little story talking about trivia and stuff. I think, I don't know if you guys read this, where it was said uh, Scorsese was working on Taxi Driver and he was down in a Times Square area. And he, while he was filming, it didn't end up in Taxi Driver, but he filmed it, I guess, because he was filming street scenes and smoke and people came pouring out of a theater that was showing Coonskin because Core had gone in there and smoke bombed it. <laughs> and Scorsese had actually witnessed that happen. And so, I mean, we talked about Taxi Driver. This is like there. It's like in that zeitgeist. So once again, reserved recommendation, <laughs> I would say. I, I, would, I, would also add, I would also add that if you get on Al Sharpton's bad side, you're probably doing something good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're not getting a podcast sponsorship from Reverend Al Sharpton. No way, no how. Okay. So that is Coonskin. As of this recording, it is currently streaming on Canopy. Okay. If that's a hard to find streaming service, I get it. It doesn't go out to Eric Holmes or Bruce Perky, but you can rent or buy Coonskin. 
Obviously, if you're someone like Eric Holmes, you can actually hunt to see maybe, who knows, maybe the full feature is available on YouTube for free. So, oh, okay, Bruce Perky. <laughs> Bruce Perky had a askance look or a quizzical look. So maybe that take that as a hint, audio listeners. And uh, yeah, so anyways, Kunske, interesting, if, especially if you're a cinephile, like Bruce Perky said, reserve recommendation. Now, Eric Holmes, tell us about your next pick which is the ni- a 1977 movie that probably came out the same year as Star Wars did. It did come out uh, the same year as Star Wars. In fact, uh, Mark Hamill has a small voice part in this. Uh, I can't remember that his character's name. He's not in it much, but... <laughs> He's Sean. He's Sean the <laughs> yeah. Fairy. He's Sean the Fairy. Named- <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. But uh, this right. is... So this is set... Basically, the the Earth blew up <laughs> pretty much. Um and this is uh, what, like ten million years in the future, and uh, magic kind of uh, uh, rears through. Um, but then there's these uh, these guys. The uh, I don't know what you call them. These guys right here. Uh, oh, oh, what is that? Is that a comic book wizards? No, what it's a, DVD. a DVD. Oh, DVD. Oh, well, okay. When did you get that? Did you just get that recently, or did, you've always had that? I, I I picked it up at uh, Entertainment. Mart. Hey. Oh, Entertainment. Mart. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. But uh, this is kind of a, what do you call it? An analogy for World War II, where the uh, magic users are the Jews and the technology users who are trying to stamp out magic are the Nazis, which I kind of have a problem with. <laughs> I, I kind of have, I kind of take issue that, uh, uh, scientists are known as the nazis where the uh, people that think of uh you know have their head in the clouds are the i, I don't know it, it's weird but yeah this, this is a fantasy movie that's a allegory for world war ii a pretty clear allegory for world war ii this is not a. I mean there's there's a uh, swastikas and uh, you know, kind of Nazi imagery all throughout. You know, it's it's a movie for kids. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but well, his it, term it was right. They said a, it was kid friendly. <laughs> yeah, the reason why listeners, the reason why Eric Holmes was having a day about explaining the plot because this plot is all over the place. It, you just have to know the first several minutes, which is there is this I think fairy queen, and she ends up having twins. One of them is called avatar he's the good son okay avatar and there's another i forgot there's another son known as black wolf i guess he's not called i don't know if he's called black wolf right at the beginning but the other son the other the other is bad he never visits his mom so black wolf and avatar they're the main quote-unquote characters in wizards they ultimately have a fight they split and that's what eric holmes is saying there's one side which is the magic side and that is avatar's and and his people and his folk and then there is black wolf who is the science and his the science is they they uh they live on nazi propaganda and they are essentially mutants while the people of magic are and avatar's people are are elves and there's fairies there's dwarves there's a lot of creatures it's confusing it's also a little bit of a road movie it's there's rotoscoping involved Bruce, can you help us out regarding the plot? Is it is it all over the place for you, or or was it was it seamless in your jumbled mind? Well, I mean, it's, all of the stuff from this era, his stuff. I mean, this is this definitely has hippie vibes all over it. This is like seventies leftover hippie stuff. Which, I mean, I was steeped in this. I remember. I mean, heavy metal album covers, blacklight posters, bong shops in the back of the poster shop, High Times magazine, Cheech and Chong. This. Is right in that camp. You got wizards, fairies, guns, everything. Peace, dude. Yeah, that's the whole technology thing, right? The technology thing is it's like anti, anti natural. So I think that that is a big piece of what's going on here. Is it's that whole kind of like natural, organic hippies going back to everything. So I think that's why they're the good guys and technologies are the bad guys. This is pre eighties, right? So. Um, <laughs> does the story make a ton of sense? I mean, it's really, you know, good versus evil twin brothers split. That's a pretty classic kind of a setup. And then after that, it's just kind of, it's kind of goofy, but also there's some really fun stuff in it. And like you said, animation wise. So that's the other thing. So you talk about the animation is also kind of all over the place, but what I was watching, they were saying that he used a lot of different artists. It wasn't all him. 
So like the backgrounds in the um, Scorch, Scorch is the evil area, go figure. The backgrounds for Scorch was done by one artist and he wanted to make it look that kind of really washed out and great technology and kind of line drawings and all that stuff. Whereas all the stuff for the kind of the, the good side of things, the avatar side of things was done by another artist that had much more of a fantasy style. So, and it would make it look a lot nicer and beautiful and pretty and stuff. And then he did a lot of the, the character stuff. It makes the job harder for him, I think, when you separate these two artists and say, hey, you stay on one island and you stay on the other island. And it's my job to just pretty much bring them all together. It's He's making the job harder for himself. But I think that's kind of who he is. He likes to have that that yeah. stable of animators, but he wants that vision to ultimately be his in a, I think in a, in a really creatively passionate way. I, I think I th- I found that to be very inspiring what he was kind of doing with that. With that well, that all the rotoscoping, like you said, he had rotoscopes. So he has all these shots of like footage that he's rotoscoped. If people don't know, rotoscoping is taking actual footage and hand painting over the footage. So it moves like the actual footage, but it's the new images are whatever you want them to be. So for battle scenes, he's got orcs and stuff fighting, but instead he's using actual footage originally from like, what they say, Patton and um, Zulu and uh, all these old He movies. mentioned Alexander Nevsky is another movie he used. And, he said, and I, was, I was watching on YouTube at an interview at one of the screenings for Wizards and he said, yeah, I used footage from Alexander Nevsky and they never got me on that. <laughs> so years later. So it's awesome that he was doing all that stuff with the rotoscoping and the rotoscoping, he he went to it because I think this movie cost a couple million bucks for its scope at the time. It's ambitious, but he was down. He asked the studio 20th Century Fox for an extra $50,000 and they want to give it to him. And so he had to, like a lot of filmmakers we love, he had to actually cobble together his with the, his creativity. And that's where the rotoscoping came in to save him a little bit of money. Did you guys feel that battle sequence at the end? That's not giving too much away. Did, did you like the rotoscoping in the movie as far as the saving the money? But I thought it did a good good enough job, I thought. Yeah, he kind of did the uh, similar thing when uh, when he did the Lord of the Rings. I think that was either before or just after. I think it was just after, after this one. Yeah. Um, where the, uh, the hobbits are like kind of, uh, you know, it, it's all rotoscope, but the hobbits are more line drawn, whereas the, the, uh, dark horse riders or wherever they are, they look, uh, they use a, uh, a, a different technique. It's not rotoscoping, but it's, uh, they t- develop the film differently. So it mm-hmm. almost look, almost looks animated and it gives it a really darker kind of, uh, kind of a stranger look, but, uh, yeah. He he definitely uh he, he definitely likes to jump different styles, and and I would also kind of point out like with with how how odd this uh the the story is because it kind of bounces around everywhere and Coonskin does this too and Last Days of Coney Island absolutely does this. These are almost like uh almost like almost like poems or mm-hmm. like uh you like you watch uh, uh the Unforgiven video by Metallica. It kind of makes sense, kind of makes narrative sense. Like you can kind of grab onto some of it, but it slips away from you. And these kind of have that sort of thing where you kind of see where it's going, but then it just keeps taking all these weird detours and um, these weird asides. And but I, they all seem to they all seem to kind of coalesce. And I don't know how he does it, but it, to me, doesn't it almost feel like you get this sometimes in Italian movies too, like? like we, uh, giallos and stuff sometimes you even get that feeling yeah. where where you have to kind of let like absolute narrative flow through reason go a little bit and you can totally see how these movies became midnight movies because everyone's going there stoned or on lsd or whatever and they're kind of just like letting it flow through their brain so for them it probably <laughs> is perfectly makes sense because they don't have to make sense out of it they're just experiencing it you know yeah and i think it yes. kind of it kind of reflects that you know yeah, it's kind of similar to dream logic, but it's not dream logic, but it, it's kind of all, almost like they stop the movie and then look at the camera and then, you know, tell you something or do something. And then they go back to the story, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of jarring in the way it does it. But well, like, well, what, what was that one scene? The, uh, you killed Fritz. Yeah. Yeah. You killed Fritz. Oh, my God, he killed like, that, yeah. that that scene just comes out of nowhere. It doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it still kind of fits within the whole the whole tone of the the whole movie. And you you saw what I said about that, right? You heard what that was all about, right? 
Yeah, that was the the with Chrome. Arkham. Yeah, because yeah. Arkham, because he made he made for okay, we didn't mention it, but Fritz the Cat was his big breakout movie. One of the the first, I think, X-rated animated full-length feature yes. to get released, whatever. So Fritz the Cat was his version of Arkham's uh, story character. Arkham hated it. Arkham absolutely hated it, despised it. So Arkham hated it so much that Arkham killed Fritz the Cat in one of his later comics after the movie got released. So then in this movie, that scene where he said, you killed Fritz, you killed Fritz, you killed Fritz. is just his direct commentary back to our crumb for killing Fritz the cat. So pretty. Yeah. Funny. And ultimately he actually never really understood why crumb. And he, he was asked point blank. Well, why did you guys have a falling out? And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know regarding crumb, but look, the movie made crumb so much money that, and his, his, uh, his comics, his notoriety increased after Fritz the cat. And he said something very pointed and important. He said, Crumb did not understand that when you hand over your work to a director, he or she, that's their project. Now they're interpreting your work. Your book is your book, but their work is the film. So it, the way he said, he didn't say it with a lot of animosity regarding Crumb, but he just said, look, this is the way it was. This was sort of my vision on, some his work that I really loved. And he called Crumb very talented. And he was saying even Crumb's wife over the years, whenever they got their royalty checks from the movie, it made this movie, like you said, Bruce, made a made a lot of movie for made a lot of money for everyone involved. Crumb's wife would call him and say, Thank you so much for pretty much putting food on the table. Really? I mean, let's face it, Fritz the Cat was a was a huge hit. And what's interesting is Bakshi was saying that if he wanted to, he could have made Fritz. Fritz the Cat 2, 3, and 4, he could have been a millionaire straight through and through just from doing the sequels. But that's not, as we can see from Wizards and Coonskin, that's not what his main passion was. His main passion was crafting something that really came out of him as opposed to collecting a paycheck or maybe breaking for lunch, getting royalties, and just being fat financially for the rest of his life. I find that to be also very cool. Because I would have taken, if I had any talent in my life, I would have taken the money and I would have ran very quickly. I would have been, I would have been a sprinter and I, I would have been complacent. So anyways, Wizards, I, I, what I really interested, what's interesting about Wizards for me personally is it's one of these movies and Wizards more than Coonskin because Wizards appeals to me because I'm an RPG guy. I love fantasy. He takes a movie that's very epic, but he doesn't, there's a lot of, Asides, like you were saying, Eric, and it doesn't really appeal to the lowest common denominator, meaning the ending, there's a showdown at the end, you're expecting it to be this epic mono mano wizard magic versus science and technology situation, and he upends that. And that's what Bakshi, from what from the little I've seen those two movies, is he upends a lot of expectations, and it seems like he just doesn't care. He wants he wants the audience to actually participate in the story, and and he or she can glean what they find important or interesting about his work. Uh, is that something that you guys love about him too? That he doesn't go the predictable way of storytelling. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. That, that's a, that's a very good answer. Yeah. No. I I just think he's a yeah, very. Uh, uh, he he just has uh, overall. He just has a doesn't give a shit attitude about everything. It's like that this that this is the story I want to tell. This is what I'm going to do. It's like ah, oh, that's probably not going to work. And like, well, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, we often talk about punk rock aesthetic, and I mean that's that's exactly what he does. And you know some of the stuff that he does works for people and other stuff doesn't work for people, but it's all, I mean, he, he definitely knows how to take a spoon, dig these things out of his head and just plop them on a plate right in front of people. And sometimes to, uh, you know, sometimes they just come out absolutely insane. And then sometimes they come out poignant and sometimes I don't even know what the fuck I'm looking at. (laughs) But it, it's all it's all just distilled backshe, um, and I, I think that's I think that's why the people that do appreciate them appreciate them, and uh, it's probably uh, may, maybe that's why Crumb maybe that's why Crumb didn't like it because uh, Fritz the Cat was a even though it was uh, Crumb's uh, character you know it was backshe fingerprints all over it maybe he didn't maybe he didn't 
appreciate that. But you know, that's what you get when you sell your <laughs> when you sell your uh, IP. So I don't yep. know what to tell them. Speaking of iconic characters regarding the Bakshi world, there's a character here. This goes to Perkron ninety nine. There's a character here called Necron ninety nine slash Peace. Little factoid: Peace is voiced by David Proval. P R O V A L. Listeners, you may know David Proval if you are a fan of The Sopranos. He was known as the character Richie April in The Sopranos. So that is voiced by David Proval. That is Necron 99. Uh, Peace, did you guys, Bruce Perky, were you a big Necron 99 fan after watching Wizards? Yeah, I mean, they, he was the poster guy too. He, he's, he was a really fun character. I, was, I almost wanted to know more about that character. He was almost just a drone for a lot of it, but he looked so cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was looking him up and I guess he's based on some other um, underground comic character that, that uh, Bakshi really liked. And that's the other thing is that you see constantly in his work, he's kind of giving love to these other underground artists, like putting them in for background painting and doing all this other stuff. It's just uh, kind of his, I got, like you said before, his kind of um, underground uh, aesthetic, his, his ability to just kind of go with what he wanted to go with and i think that's to his credit like you were talking before about him versus crumb and it's like to me that's i mean i don't put bakshi up with with kubrick but that's the whole problem with kubrick right i mean stephen king hated him because when kubrick got a hold of the shining he said i'm making the shining the way i want to make it and honestly isn't that what you want you want a filmmaker to really say like i'm going to show you my vision i'm not going to like water it down and whether you like bakshi or not he generally isn't watering it down much. And it, you can see later on where he's kind of getting pushed and pulled from people. I mean, he there's stories of him literally punching producers and stuff because he just doesn't play nice, you know, with people. So Yeah. And also, oh, Eric, sorry. Oh, I, I was going to say, I, I mentioned before about like a, I am legend. The, the story I am legend is a great story and they keep trying to redo it and they keep fucking it up. The reason they keep fucking it up is because they're just trying to appeal to the widest audience possible. And so there's no there's no art there. There's no inspiration there. They're just like, oh, here's the thing that people know. I'm going to do that. But uh, we, we want to grab these people and these people. So let's add this, that, and other thing in it. And it just ends up ruining the story. But then, well, uh, Suspiria, the, the remake of Suspiria, that, that's a good example of what Ralph Bakshi does. Is hey, I'm going to take this thing I like. But I gotta, I gotta, you know, I was inspired to take it a different direction, and it it works because there's there's uh, art there, you know, there's creativity there. It's not just I'm going to change this to appeal to the widest audience. It's I I saw this thing that I like, and it inspired me to do something else with a similar idea. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what what Bakshi does. Although although with uh with Lord of the Rings, he kind of. He he kind of went note for note with that, uh, but you know, that, yeah. That I mean, was, that's I think one of those things where you have so much reverence for it, and everyone wanted to wanted that was like the beloved property for the, so many people in that era, and well, now too. I was going to say, and kind of like we were talking about before, when those people do generally make like their own vision to things, it's interesting to think about the things that could have been. Once again, Kubrick was going to make Napoleon forever, and never did it. They talked about, and one thing I read that Bakshi had plan on trying to make catcher in the rye can you imagine what that would have been i can't even picture what that would have been like but i would have liked to have seen it you know it would have been different (laughs) one final factoid regarding wizards i really enjoyed the title track even though i I was reading our reviews or i i I read i think a blog post saying that bakshi did not like i don't know if the song is called only time will tell or time will tell but really enjoyed it. It plays on the closing credits of Wizards and it is sung by actress Susan Anton. I remember Susan Anton a lot growing up as well. Bruce Perky, you concur with me regarding, yes, regarding the knowledge of Susan Anton. Yes. So awesome. And she's still doing, she's still acting and she's, she's still performing. And I was a little bit mad because I was looking for time will tell on Spotify. It's not on it. We'll have to search it for the soundtrack to Wizards. Was so. she the one that wanted her name taken off the movie? Then no. there, there, there was uh, Bruce probably knows what I'm talking about. Then yeah, that was a uh, Susan Tyrell. Okay, 
And Susan Tyrell is really famous for, she's a really well-known character actress. She's been in a bunch of like Andy Warhol stuff and John, John Waters stuff. And if you saw her, you'd recognize her. She said later that she regretted having her name taken off of it because after it was out and for a while, she was like, I should have really kept my name on that. It's really good stuff. But at the time she thought it would diminish her because it was going to look like she was just in these kitty kind of movies. But then she discovered it wasn't what she thought it was. And it actually helped her career a ton. So she went back later and told him, I'm sorry, I should have left my name on there. You actually helped my career a ton, you know? So that was interesting. That's a great story. And she does great voiceover work in the movie. So she's very good in the VO stuff. So that is Wizards. Solid recommend for all of us. We all Mm -hmm. concur? Yeah. Let let the kids watch both of them. Let let the kids watch both (laughs) of them. Kids, don't listen to your grandfather or your uncle. Don't listen to, I'm sorry. Don't listen to Uncle Eric Holmes regarding that. If you're an adult, though, you can listen to your compadre, Eric Holmes, regarding these Bakshi films. We're not close. We're not done yet. There's one more movie. Is it called Last Days of Coney Island? Yeah. Which I haven't seen as of yet. Can you guys, Eric, uh, what was that final um, extra credit pick for this? So this was the last thing he's done that I'm aware of. And this was done as a, like a Kickstarter thing. And I think it was meant to be like a, maybe a YouTube series or something. Um, This 20 minute short was supposed to be the first of many. And uh, this one, I love the style of this. It is very rough. And um, as I, as I, pointed out to bruce earlier this is the most backshe of all backshe that has ever backshe <laughs> the animation is very crude almost to the point where you can see the 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 pencil drawings before they laid over the the ink and paint um i i don't think those are actual pencil drawings i think that's a style they went for the <laughs> story is uh uh as much as there is a story, this is more just kind of hanging out with characters in, in Bakshi world as most of them are. Uh, yeah. But this, the story kind of starts out this character named Shorty voiced by fucking God Omar, name. Omar Jones, Omar Jones, Omar, Omar Jones. Jones. Yeah. I know him as distract. Cause I actually know him, <laughs> but uh, he Shorty goes in and uh, sees his mom having sex with a clown. <laughs> that's true (laughs) and uh he freaks out and kills the clown and then there's a thing about a a cop and his and the cops Uh, in love with this uh prostitute i think yeah and doris or dora or something like that i I think so and look i'm I'm just i'm just gonna be pulling my own teeth out trying to explain (laughs) the plot because this is another one where it's um more about um more about tone and and kind of uh falling into the style and the uh the world that he's created but yeah. this one's this one's very rough and i think of all of them this might be the one that uh people have a hard time falling into yeah but it's also kind of one of my favorite ones <laughs> can i can i do a attempt to try to describe it for people yeah go um for it. <laughs> i would say it's like if if William S. Burroughs was having a fever dream on his deathbed while like in a major drunk and drug addled state, thinking about his days in Coney Island as a kid, that, that's kind of what you would get. That's a good it's, explanation. It's, yeah. it's out there. And actually I looked up, I think the series you're thinking about was going to be called, it's like Ralph Bakshi blue. And he actually, he actually did one episode of it that wasn't this. It was like a three or four minute short called Trickle Dickle Down, which I actually did watch <laughs> too. Oh, that, that, that's out? Yeah, you can find it. Oh, all right. I, I didn't know that. I, I saw that that was a thing, but I thought that was yeah. like uh, kind of like when we did Maya Darren, how there was that one yeah. thing, but it's nowhere. I thought it was one of those things. You can find it. It's a, I won't get into it, but it's, it's a very short little thing, but you're right about this. This one's hard to describe. It's really sketchy. I was looking at, cause after he did cool world and some other stuff, he kind of fell off the animation front for quite a while and did a lot of painting. He like really put a lot of time into painting and his painting style is very similar to what you see in um, last days of Coney Island, that real kind of sketchy liney sort of crude drawings and very, like it's whole really seedy. Like the whole thing is really seedy and and but it 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 hits a mood that's very uh it's it's its own thing, man. I'll tell you. Eric, why would you say this? You you really liked it. You said it a lot of people who may may have liked the, these these two picks for this episode 
it might not be as palatable, but why did you, why, what did you love about it? I, I don't know. Of all of them that, it, of all of those movies I've seen, this is the one where I kind of feel like I'm drawn into the world a lot more. And I can't really explain why it just has a, uh, like I can smell it. I can taste it like in, which is weird because of how crude it is. You would think that that would push you back, but it doesn't for me. It just pulls me in and I can't quite explain it. But Omar Jones, as I, I know as Distract, D-I-S-T-R-A-K-T. He was a rapper here in Colorado Springs. And he, okay. also, he also does animation. And apparently he's pretty in, heavily inspired by uh, Ralph Bakshi. So if you look, uh, you go on YouTube and look up Distract, D-I-S-T-R-A-K-T. Um, he's got his own uh, videos that he makes, little short music videos. And they're uh, a lot like Ralph Bakshi, the role. They're real dirty, real loose, but they kind of, they all have their own kind of, uh, you know, tone to them. That is very cool. Very cool. Added information. That's Last Days of Coney Island. That can be, I guess, had on Vimeo or something. You just purchase it, right? That's on digital. Or you can, is that how you guys got it? Uh, Coney Island. It's, it's, uh, you go to Ralph Bakshi's YouTube page and it's free on there. Awesome. Awesome. And I forgot my fault. Wizards, I, I purchased it on, for Apple. So I actually purchased it for about three bucks. So actually three ninety nine. you can rent or buy it. And we'll, we'll have those links as well on our notes and last days of Coney Island. That's a YouTube thing. Did you guys know? I'm sure you guys know. I would say this. I, I think all three of us really enjoy Bakshi's work. I am the least experienced out of this whole thing. I can't wait to watch more of his stuff. By the way, would any of you recommend what would be the next steps after these two choices after coon coonskin after wizards do you guys have any recommendations as far as bakshi's work to dive into next i mean if you haven't seen uh if you haven't seen fritz the cat that would probably actually fritz the cat should probably be the first one you hit up or if you're not into the x-rated stuff probably lord of the rings okay okay or Bruce, I, or, I would suggest cool fritz world <laughs> yeah i was just fritz the cat and we won't talk on here about cool world because we don't want to spoil it people haven't seen cool world but I don't know if you guys read what the original concept of Cool World was going to be, but we should I should talk to you about that. It's okay. pretty awesome. Very <laughs> cool. Okay. Did you, did you end up, because I know Bakshi wasn't too much of a fan of Cool World himself, but were you guys, did, did that movie, because it's yeah. currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Is it worth, oh, you're, you're Bruce, it eh? Could, cool World's uh, more, it feels more Roger Rabbit than it does Ralph yeah. Bakshi. Um, okay. And I think it's it, because it's a, a diluted version of what his vision of that movie would have been. Yeah. I think that's one of the times when he really didn't get to quite stick with what he wanted. So I think, yeah. And I think that kind of, I don't think he liked the experience of Cool World either when it was, was all done. Got, so. uh, Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, are any of you guys rich? No. Do any of you have so. <laughs> lots of money? Eric Holmes, in, under your bed there, I don't have any money under my bed. Do you have any hundreds of dollars under your bed, Bruce Perky? Do you have some disposable money that you can just... Spend? Neither do I. Hopefully our podcast gets millions and millions of dollars because, you know, it's one of the first things I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Ralph Bakshi's eBay page, which has the Lord of the Rings original Ralph Bakshi animation cells with a free autograph, $695. There is a Coonskin Street Fight original animation production drawings, free autograph as well, a little bit better, $295. Buy it now. There is a whole bunch. Oh, there's a Wizards Animation Art Original Ralph Bakshi Production Cells, $4.95. There's a lot of Ralph Bakshi art available as we speak now on eBay, or you can check out his artwork on ralphbakshi.com. Now, I don't have $695 or $400 because as as you can guys can tell, I'm I'm a little bit I have a, a nice, a nice big waist. So I use that money to eat. But if you go to ralphbakshi.com, there's a gallery of some of his artwork. It's called a gallery shop. And I actually, when you look at the, the uh, some of these photos of his artwork, like you were talking about, Bruce, after his filmmaking, he's really focused on his art. There are some, most of them are sold, but you can actually go to one. There's this little guy, number 664. If you want to add it to your cart, he's only a four by six inch. It's, an, it's one of his original art collection. You can buy that. I think it's a, it's more than a sketch. It's a drawing and it's signed by Bakshi, 99 bucks. That's doable for me. Totally doable. <laughs> so anyways, I'm just so excited. And uh, yeah, what did you guys think of him as an artist? Like, 
can do you see the, the the sort of the separation where you can you can really enjoy the movies, but you can still like on an upscale level, you can really love his artwork as well. Do you or do you think you know? Can you separate the two for for both of you? I, yeah, I, I can enjoy both of them, and I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I can enjoy both, and I, I really appreciate the way he was really playing with the whole concept of how you could create and present animation, even if it didn't work all the time. He was really doing weird stuff, which I appreciate. Okay, very cool. So that is our Ralph Bakshi episode. Do you guys, Eric Holmes, you you are the spearheader. Any final thoughts, comments on Ralph Bakshi and what you've learned? Yes, I've learned that these are uh, these are wonderful uh, animated features, and you should get the kids and let them watch it, and then say, "You see that? <laughs> oh boy, let's talk. Let's talk about this. If you're going to talk about the actually, I'm joking, but." Um, <laughs> I didn't bring this up earlier, but uh, with Fritz the Cat, when I was probably coming in my teens, somewhere around there, my dad, I think I was watching like the Heathcliff cartoon. And then my dad mentioned, oh, have you heard of Fritz the Cat? Oh, no, it wasn't Heathcliff. It was uh, Felix the Cat. Felix the Cat. I always got those two confused. So did I. And my dad said, uh, have you ever heard of Fritz the Cat? You know, doing the uh, adult thing where you say something naughty to a kid, but the kid has no idea what it is, has no context of what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I think my dad was fucking with me, uh, but I didn't know it at the time. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, you probably like Fritz the Cat. <laughs> and then oh, no. uh, I got a little older and uh, I'm like, Dad, you son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> but uh, awesome. Yeah. 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 Let the let the kids watch. uh Take a Fritz the Cat VHS and put it inside of a Felix the Cat uh, case (laughs) and just leave it there and see what happens. Just see what happens. Find your film may not totally endorse the uh, suggestions (laughs) of Eric Holmes. Everyone, welcome your favorite dark uncle, Shadow Lord (laughs) Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes, what what can you tell us about your Entertainment DVD of Wizards? Does it have any special features or is it just the movie itself? It's got, uh, let's see, it's got the movie, it's got audio commentary, which I wanted to listen to before this, didn't have time, but... Um, For, uh, wait, wait, Bakshi does the audio commentary on that? Uh-huh. Okay, uh, cool. It's got uh, Ralph Bakshi, Ralph Bakshi, Bakshi, uh, the Wizard of Animation featurette, and still gallery and trailers and stuff. Uh, but I, I think the uh, the audio cam- commentary is the uh, gem as far as the special features go. Okay. Because usually the behind the scenes stuff, you know, the behind the scenes features are always fun, but nine times out of 10, they're like, eh, this movie's so great. And look how great this movie is. Yeah, I know. I bought the DVD, <laughs> but usually it's the, the commentary where you get the, where you get the fun stuff in there. Okay, cool. And Bruce, final thoughts on Roth? I just, it's really fun uh, to just delve into things you don't know so much about, especially when it's really experimental and weird like this. And I think that, like we said before, not for everybody, but if you're into film and history of film and really experimental and groundbreaking film, it's it's worth diving into. All right. Well, that is that is our episode of uh, Director Spotlight. Find your film Director Spotlight on Ralph Bakshi. For our next Director Spotlight, it is my turn, and I am going to pick a director I had no idea who he was in the beginning. This person's name is Ronald Neem, N-E-A-M-E. Do you know who Ronald Neem is? I certainly didn't. One of the films that he did is The Poseidon Adventure. I don't know if we're actually going to use The Poseidon Adventure for our next episode, but we're going to be back in a couple of weeks. Maybe that's something. Eric Holmes, have you seen The Poseidon Adventure yet? You haven't yet, right? Uh, no, not. I, I saw the Kurt Russell one, but not the one, not the one we're watching. Okay, we might have I, we might have to use the Poseidon Adventure as one of our movie picks, and I'll do one of the extra credits like you guys did with Coney Island. But so I for our next episode, we will spotlight. The Poseidon Adventure, not the Kurt Russell version, and also the Walter Matthau film Hopscotch, which, by the way, Eric Holmes, how dare he just do that to me? He he just picked up a Hopscotch DVD from Entertain Mart. By the way, speaking of which, Eric Holmes, you still have those two gift cards that you're giving away for twenty dollars. I do. Did you? Okay, good. Good. It's uh, you're you're, you're going to go to findyourscene.com. I haven't put up the post yet, but I'm I've alerted our cinematics community, and I'm going to put this post, this giveaway post. It's up for the next two weeks. Hopefully, if, if you if you're listening to this six months down the road, I'm sorry, but Eric Holmes is offering two gift cards from Entertain Mart 
for uh, $20 each. Eric Holmes, I'm sorry. Yes. I, I was going to say, if you are listening six months from now, uh, these two gift cards will be gone, but we'll probably still be doing this six months from now. So the two different gift cards. Two different gift cards. And here's the thing. It's an organic giveaway because Eric Holmes, once he, once, you know, he actually uses his disposable income to buy physical media, uh, DVDs, Blu-rays from Entertain Mart. Do you buy anything else or are you mainly a physical media guy? Is that what you go in there for? Uh, but actually, lately I've been collecting board games. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly just movies okay. and, and, and music. Every, once in a while, I'll pick up a CD because uh, a lot of music like movies are online. But the cool thing about physical media is once you have it, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, I, I'm deep enough into music that uh, a lot of the stuff I listen to, it's good to have a CD or a record or something because you just can't find it online. And that hopscotch, is that a Criterion DVD or what kind of DVD is it? It is. Yeah, it's a Criterion. Uh, Yep. Criterion DVD. Eric Holmes getting fancy schmancy on us with the Criterion. (laughs) So, And Bruce Perky, come on, where's your Poseidon Adventure DVD? Don't you have it somewhere? out of arm's reach, but I do have it. I was just looking at it today, so I do have it, yes. And where did you buy that from? Uh, I bought it from Second and Charles, which is kind of my version of an Entertain Mart. So, uh, yeah. And my, my version is CD Trader, which is over in over in Tarzana. One of these days, all three of us, all of those stores will will start hooking us up with some gift cards. And you listeners can hopefully be the beneficiary of them all. Again, running joke, not actually a running fact. Eric, if you're if you're getting a giveaway from Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky on the up and up from Greg Trusavosti, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I may put them in my pocket. <laughs> that is it for Ralph Bakshi. And we will see you next week on Find Your Film. <laughs>